G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. I've been looking forward to talking to our next guest all week. Now, Hannah Boland is, well, three words you never see in the same sentence, a Christian woman and comedian. And yet Hannah is all of those. And yet while she makes people laugh, her own life has been touched by tragedy. She's written about that in her books, 47 Hours with a Prince and Superstitious Christianity. And she joins us on the program now. Well, Hannah, hello. Thanks very much indeed for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Alan. Why did you call the book Superstitious Christianity? (laughs) Yeah, Um, there was a a bit of debate actually about that title because obviously it's a title that can make people, like put them off um, very quickly. But um, the idea obviously is not to put people off, it's to engage their curiosity. Um, And the reason I called it as such was when um, I hit some really difficult times in my life, I realized that a lot of what I thought I understood about God and thought I had, you know, um, learned about him was actually not true or not not quite accurate. And um, a lot of the, I, I came to the realization that the way I'd been living out my faith was sort of based in a lot more sort of um, superstition or, or things that were, you know, uh, if I if I acted a certain way, there was sort of a cause and effect in terms of how then God was, you know, supposed to respond to that, which is is sort of like a definition of superstition. So that's why the book is called Superstitious Christianity because it's looking at um, sort of the superstitious side of, of the faith that I had and and stripping away those things and really getting into the heart of what the Christian faith is actually all about. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, you. you briefly um touched on on the things that had happened to you tell us tell us first of all about Stephen okay um Stephen was um my baby that I had in 2011 and um sort of around about halfway through the pregnancy he was diagnosed with a condition um that meant that most of his brain hadn't developed and so for the um second half of the pregnancy we knew that he probably wouldn't um live for very long if he was even born alive um and he he survived for 47 hours after he was born and um so that was obviously a, a tremendous a, a tremendously difficult um journey for for me and my family and and just trying to um find God's purpose in all of that what goes through your mind when that sort of thing happens, um, oh, a whole a whole spectrum of um, <laughs> pain and and grief and mm. um, just really, as I said, wondering what God's purpose in it was because you know the Bible does say that every child is a gift from God and that you know He does um, create each of us in you know with the uniqueness. Um, that we each have and so really trying to wonder you know what is God's purpose in creating a little life that has really no um, hope of ever growing up and and developing normally and and basically not ever having the chance to know um, his parents at least in this lifetime Um, that's 
that sort of was the, the biggest question that we had to grapple with. So when when he was born, you, I mean, you obviously you knew you were on on borrowed time with him. Yep. I, I actually I can't imagine what you went through as parents. Uh, no, I think it's one of those things that, in some ways, thankfully people don't really know, and until if they're ever put in that awful situation themselves. Um, I think what made it so much harder for us was that the um, medical teams that we were dealing with throughout the pregnancy after he was diagnosed, um, they really fought us right up literally until the very hour that he was born to basically terminate his life um, because they didn't have any um, respect or or value for his life. And um, obviously he, he was not only our son, but just from a a biblical perspective as well, just knowing that every life is precious to God. um, It it was just such a strain. And and that is what um, most of that first book, 47 Hours with the Prince, is about um, just the tension that was there between the medical staff and just the value or lack of value that um, the secular world um, and even Christians sometimes place upon a life and um, sometimes we just do it really unconsciously as well heaven forbid if, if that situation happened to you again if 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 you found yourself faced with that same question would you make the same decision oh about not terminating yeah, yeah. oh absolutely absolutely i think you know to be really fair i i, I think termination and abortion i think it's one of those things that it's very easy as a Christian to, you know, paint a really broad brush stroke and say never under any circumstances is it okay. Um, but then I think you'll find that there are some very, very complicated cases mm. and things where perhaps mum's life is in danger or there are so many other elements going on. And um, I, I just really encourage people to be kind um, to those who are going through a really difficult situation like that or perhaps have even made a decision to terminate a pregnancy um, because you can just never understand the strain that is there um, unless you're in that situation yourself Um, and I am very um, pro-life I'm I'm very much I I do believe that um, you know every life is precious and I'm not someone that would you know normally endorse termination or abortion or those sorts of things but I am just very aware that sometimes there are circumstances that um, the decision is not that straightforward and that really has to be up to the individual families and um, if they're Christian families between them and their relationship with God. Yeah yeah well that would be enough to finish off many many families and then a year later you fell pregnant with Esther. Mm. Just tell, tell us what happened to, in, in that case. Um, yep, so Esther was our rainbow baby. Rainbow <laughs> baby is a, a term that's often used for people who've um, suffered um, an early loss. Um, the baby that comes afterwards is usually called their rainbow baby because yeah. it's like the rainbow after the storm. So Esther... Um, yeah, we, we fell pregnant with her about 12 months later and um, everything was great. You know, we were just so thrilled and, and so excited and our kids were really excited too because of all the, the pain and tragedy that um, we had been through. And then um, at about 34 weeks, so I had about six weeks to go, um, I went for a fairly routine checkup um, and had discovered that Esther had actually passed away and... 
um, when she was born. They're not 100% sure what happens, but what they think happened was that she was um, asphyxiated on the umbilical cord. Mm. So she was a perfectly healthy baby in every other way. It was just an absolutely tragic accident. And, of course, um, we're just shattered. <laughs> yeah. I, I, again, I mean, I couldn't imagine... Uh, coping with with the, with with what happened with Stephen, but yeah. then to have this as well, yeah. Oh, your relationship with God must have taken a real hit. Yeah, <laughs> um, it sure did. I think I think after we lost Stephen, um, and and we had a lot of time to think through about Stephen as well, because you know we had sort of seventeen or so weeks before he was actually born um, to be able to think and, and pray yeah. not that anything ever prepares you for what's about to happen really but we had a lot of time to reflect on that and um after Stephen after Stephen died I I really you know held strong in, in my faith because as I said I had I had a lot of time to think about it and really felt like I'd come to a place with God where um as much as I could understand, I, I think I did. And, I, you know, there was no blame on God or anything like that. It was just trusting him. But then after we lost Esther, and Esther, in so many ways, we had seen as being, you know, just a, a real gift from God and, you know, a, a real time of healing after everything we'd been through from Stephen. Um, for that to happen, um, I my reaction after losing Esther was, so totally different to after I'd lost Stephen, and um, yeah, you you pretty well summed it up. It, my my faith took a huge um, tumble, and I'm I'm still you know um, a year and a half later really struggling to to come back into a, a good relationship with God from it. I, I saw uh, someone um, someone said that I think it was you um, said uh, you love God but you don't always like Him. I thought it was really interesting. Absolutely. Well, I think I think everyone, um, to a greater or lesser extent, if they're honest, um, can can say at some point in their lives that you know they they do love God, but they're disappointed or there's something that they just <clears throat> pardon me just don't understand. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> sorry, um, yeah, I think. I have I have a lot of trouble sometimes with the things that God lets goes on, uh, lets happen in this world. Yeah, yeah. You've got two older kids. Yes. I mean, as as a family, it must have been quite quite hard just to to keep life normal for, or at least approaching normal for them. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Look, there, there's so many factors involved um, after experiencing loss like that because, you know, for me, I did have um, uh, particularly after Esther, I, I had pretty much equivalent to a nervous breakdown and mm. um, struggled very much with anxiety and depression and, um, you know, the physical outworking of that meant that I'm just not able to look after myself or the household or, you know, the family. Um, so it was not even just loss of losing our little babies. It was um, my kids lost time with their mum mm. and my husband lost time with his wife and... Um, so many different losses that come uh, around that um, it's just it's grief on a whole whole new level and so I'm very blessed to have um, family um, and a, a church family as well that has supported me and helped me through that time 
and um, but at the end of the day, there is nothing that can replace that um, time with your children and with your husband. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how are you now? How am I now? <laughs> well, because um, we've been, on the day. <laughs> but we've been really gloomy for the first five minutes of this interview. <laughs> yeah, well, it's um, heavy, heavy going there. But um, look, to be perfectly honest, I, I'm still quite up and down. Yeah. I have um, a lot of ongoing health issues anyway. And so I think, too, when you're not feeling very well, um, it's very easy to get into that sort of dark <laughs> down space. Um, so, you know... Uh, the things that I find that encourage me the most or, or pick me up the most is um, just getting together with other people, um, not not always other Christians, although, you know, I, I've just come to appreciate the value of fellowship more than I ever did before I suffered either of these losses because just the power that is in um, being around other people who love God and um, just encourage you almost by osmosis, you know, just just being around each other, um, not necessarily them trying to speak words of wisdom into your life or, or things like that, but just, just being in fellowship with them and spending time with them, um, that encourages me the most. So when I find myself um, getting really low, I, I try and get myself out the door and <laughs> go and spend some time with some godly people. Let's take a quick break. We've got uh, Bob Gass and the Word for Today coming up. So we'll, we'll take a quick break and uh, then we'll come back and, and talk about um, talk about being a comedian. <laughs> All right. A bit of light and shade there. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. So our guest on the program today is uh, Hannah Boland. And uh, she is, as we were saying, uh, she is a comedian as well as an author and many other things as well. A comedian, Hannah. How How did that come about? <laughs> I still ask myself the same question, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, so before the before the little break there, we were just talking about the, the losses that I've um, been through in the last couple of years with my, my two babies that had mm. passed away. And um, about seven or eight months after we lost Esther, my, my second baby that we lost, um, I'd, I'd gone into a very, very deep depression and... Um, suffered from um, panic anxiety and, and all these sorts of things and um, I think as I started to very very slowly um, come out of the pit um, I think looking back on it now I wouldn't have said this at the time but looking back on it now and I know my husband <laughs> very much sees it this way as well I think God um, wanted to give me um, some sort of purpose again and some something to be looking forward to and um, he you know, in a very unique way, sort of put this idea into my mind about doing stand-up comedy. Because um, I think I said just before the break as well, one of the things that I find um, lifts me and encourages me um, when I'm feeling at my lowest is actually going out and spending time in um, fellowship with other people. Um, and, you know, further to that, one of the things that has sort of really helped me through the last couple of years is not just having fellowship with people, but being able to have a really good laugh. Um, it's just amazing um, the power of laughter and the power of um, humour um, so that even though things can be just really hard in your life for that hour or hour and a half that you're at a show or you're watching a movie or you're you know, listening to something that really just makes you belly laugh, <laughs> um, you know, it really can, the benefit of that can last for hours, even days afterwards. Um, and it just reminds you, you know, of what it is like to laugh. 
and to feel happy again um, when everything else is just so heavy in your life. And I really wanted to be able to um, give that to other people who were struggling as well. And so this idea of doing stand-up comedy, that's um, sort of very gen- in very general terms how, how it has come about. I just stand up so hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think my mother said I could um, talk underwater <laughs> since the womb, probably. So, because <laughs> the the tour is called the tour, the tour that you've done is called the Gift of the Gab. Yep. So, but it it is so much more though, isn't it, than than just being able to stand up in front of a crowd of people and talk. It's actually to make them laugh is is the real trick. How how do you start? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> look, I, I've come to appreciate so many things as I've, I've, as I've journeyed down this path um, because, you know, yeah, you're right. You look, at, you look at somebody that does that and you, you sort of think, you know, how, you, you know, a lot of people are afraid of public speaking, for example. So there, there's all those sort of elements there, and how do you remember all your lines, and yeah. and all those sort of practical components, and those sorts of things have never phased me. I've always been someone that you know MCs an event or does public speaking, and you know, I, I am a writer, so you know, coming up with the material in itself, um, not so hard for me. The thing that I've really come to appreciate about doing comedy is just. Um, how much of a craft it is and you know it's one thing to write a story it's another thing to be able to get up there and tell it in a way and in an order that um, people can follow and can um, get the punchline <laughs> at yeah. the right time um, and all the subtleties that come with that all the facial expressions and all of the the movements and the way that you just construct the whole thing and the way you have to lead the audience, um, you know, if, if they're a little bit slow one night. And there's just so many um, different elements that come to it. And I've just absolutely relished <laughs> the challenge of um, starting to learn some of the, the complexities that come with um, doing stand-up. And it, it really is an art form. It's a very... It's very technical in some ways. I, I was mm. watching a documentary the other night about um, the late Bob Monkhouse, the, the British comedian, mm. who who was a very clever comedian. Mm. Um, and the way he started was that he took the the routines of, of famous comedians like Bob Hope and mm-hmm. so on, and he literally transcribed their transcribed their their set, mm. and then worked out why it was funny. Yep. And then, and then made it work for him. And and it is, it is so much more than just telling a funny story. Oh, absolutely. And I think you've just touched um, there too. One of the things that's really challenging about being a Christian comedian as well is trying to find out um, what is genuinely funny and what is um, offensive to God. Because I think one of the things that um, comedians do, and they're very, very good at it is um, normalizing poor behavior because Mm. if everyone can laugh at um, you know silly things but you know poor poor things that people have done it sort of normalizes it for everyone else you know you make a joke about cheating on your girlfriend or you make a joke about you know not being very nice to your kids Um, that that's a way of sort of normalizing it because everybody has you know been tempted at some point or followed through at some point with that and that's just a way of saying oh yeah everyone does it that's why it's funny 
And for me, that's been a real um, challenge in writing the material as a Christian comedian is trying to find things that people can still relate to, but that doesn't... Um, condone uh, poor or un- ungodly behaviour, but that's still really funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I, I mean, that, that's a real challenge, isn't it? Because it, it's you, you see many comedians who who rely on on the um, on obscenities or, or yep. on stuff that it's actually the, the laugh is half shock uh, that someone's actually talking about whatever it is they're talking about. Um, so I imagine to 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 come up with something that's family friendly is is a toughie yeah look i well and to to be honest as well with that christian element um you know there's so so much um scope there for offense um because people are very precious about their faith as they should be and um you know and you're always going to offend somebody because everybody draws a line in a different spot. Um, but I spent a lot of time um, praying through and thinking very carefully through the material that I wrote for this show. Um, and really just, and, and, you know, there were a lot of things I did feel like God wanted me to take out and I, I, I did that as well. Um, so yeah, it is, it is very, very tricky, but I think people that go for the easy laugh in terms of just the crass humour and, and all that sort of stuff, I don't think it's very clever. Mm. Um, it is. It's just it, it's, it's quite lazy to me, um, yeah. and I, I think there are a lot of other ways to be funny. Yeah. Uh, do you aim yourself mostly at a, a, a Christian audience? Uh, well, I mean, this, this is my first tour, and I very um, specifically made sure that on all of my advertising and all the promo stuff that was going out, I did label myself as a Christian comedian because I think, you know, I do talk about my faith and I do talk about um, the church and all that sort of stuff in the show. And there's nothing worse than, you know, being suckered in coming along to an event that you think is one thing and then it turns out to be something else. (laughs) Um, So I was really deliberate in that because I didn't want to mislead people. But, of course... um, to, to look at it one way, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because as soon as you uh, mention the word Christian, um, then there are a lot of people that don't even want to know about you. Um, and I've even had venues that would knock me back because I labelled myself as a Christian comedian and they didn't want to have anything to do with me either. So um, I really have had to leave that in the Lord's hands um, and really have felt out of it. My focus has been um, towards building up the church in joy. And if um, if people from the church want to bring non-Christian friends or if you know anyone wants to come along, the show is absolutely suitable for anyone. Um, but I really felt like the Lord was saying, no, uh, you need to direct this. Um, to the churches and actually remind them what it is to have joy in the Lord. Because we can be a bit serious sometimes, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, we can. <laughs> well, I grew up in the Plymouth Brethren and gloomy is my default position. <laughs> <laughs> and now all the Plymouth Brethren listening are going to get on to me. <laughs> but you know yes, what I mean, don't you? email box full. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it is, I guess because... Because we we maybe as you know Christians as a group, we're thinking about serious things. You know, we're we're thinking about man's relationship with with God. We're thinking about you know a savior who who died on a cross. So how how awful can it get? Yep. For you know that it's serious stuff. Yes, it is. And and sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that actually life is sometimes absurd. Absolutely. And I think 
you know, to be fair, the Bible is quite a serious book. I've heard um, sermons and schools of thought about um, different things that are humorous in the Bible. And personally, I think there is some humor in there. But as a whole, it is quite a serious book. And, you know, that's what we're studying. That's what we're living our lives from. And um, but I, you know, I can't for a moment think that, you know, Jesus surrounded by 12 of his, you know, man blokey friends. Um, didn't get out there and absolutely have them in stitches. Um, you know, there, there's just no way that, you know, 13 guys travelled around and didn't have a good laugh. <laughs> no, I think you're, you're probably right on that one. Uh, do you think that, I mean, you've gone down this route of, of making people laugh and yet you've had this this trauma back behind you. Yep. Do you think that, that the fact that you've had that experience almost gives you a, an insight into where people might be. It, it actually makes it almost, it gives you permission to make them laugh whatever position they're in because they, it's unlikely that they will have been through what you've been through. Um, I think it's being through what I've been through, I think has certainly opened my eyes to the, the types of things people are suffering. I, I have to honestly say that before going through what I, I've I've gone through, you know, you sort of you're aware of things that are going on in other people's lives, but it the gravity of, of what that actually could mean to a person, it, it just it, it can it's very easy to pass it off and, and get on with your own life. And then once you've been through something like that yourself, um I, I think that's one of the reasons why people do suffer from a depression after, you know, a really deeply traumatic event because it just opens your eyes to, yeah, so much of the, the suffering and things that people are going through. Um, in terms of how people then choose to uh, respond to that and engage uh, in what I'm trying to do in a stand-up comedy, that that's really up to them. But um, my, my heart is to try and, and, and serve those people and just give them a little bit of relief and just hope. It comes back to hope because, as I said before, when, when I was able to laugh um, during some of, you know, the, the worst times for me, it just was a reminder that life um, has not always been doom and gloom and that even though it feels like it, it probably won't always be <laughs> doom and gloom and that it just being reminded what it was like to physically laugh again um, was just such a, a hope um, instilling experience, and, and that's really what I want to do for others. On a practical front, you've, you've set up a website to help parents cope with the, the loss of a child at, at any mm -hmm. stage. Does that open up old wounds for you, or, or is it actually um, helping? Um, it depends on the day a little bit. <laughs> uh, I must say it's a, it's a fairly static website in that um, all the information that I feel like I've been able to offer is up there for people to access. Um, occasionally, I, I do get um, people writing to me. I had a lady write to me this week to say she's, you know, 27 weeks and her daughter's just been diagnosed with the same condition that Stephen was, uh -huh. and she's really, um, you know, not not coping and, and wanting some advice. And, and the hard thing about that particular um, scenario is. I don't know of any or many non-Christian support groups um, for 
families who are going through the diagnosis stage. There are plenty around, you know, for after the loss has taken place. So if anybody's listening today and they know of any sort of um, non-specifically Christian groups that do provide support, please um, <laughs> send Alan an email or, yes. or let us know because I'm really desperate to find out if there is uh, if there are any groups out there. Um, but yeah, so at the moment that's just sort of me trying to give a bit of one-on-one help, and it is hard, you know, because I I'm trying so hard to to move on. Not that I'm trying to forget, but you know, I ha- I have to keep getting better, you know, for myself and for my family. And um, yeah, it is it is a little bit um, difficult at times. Yeah, yeah. I, I it's I guess it just sort of sits there, doesn't it? And it it sort of. Uh, I remember talking to to somebody who who had a, a not dissimilar experience to you, um, and she said that you know most of the time that most of the time she carried on quite happily. She, you know she would she was a, a member of a of a, a big strong church. Yep. But she said every now and then it would something would sneak up on her when yep. she least expected it. Oh, I think I think that's fairly um, typical of grief yeah. and the grief process. And I think what's really important for people to remember too is that. When you're around the person, um, they are to some extent going to be, you know, keeping a brave face um, because they don't want to be, you know, the needy person. They don't want to be the person that's crying (laughs) and, you know, needing lots of TLC. Um, And so if if the person is upset in front of you, also keep in mind that's probably only a tenth or a twentieth of how they're reacting behind closed doors. Yeah. 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 If you had advice for someone who was dealing with a friend who was going through what what you've been through and particularly bearing in mind that uh, you know we've had are you okay day this week yeah i mean i imagine the last thing you want to hear is platitudes what what's the best thing that the rest of us can do to help oh wow um <laughs> well at the oh, and at the, the, the program the, the website a plug um Really, there. I've got a whole list of ideas on my um, 47hourswiththeprince.com website. Um, but basically, I think the key is to ask the person. Ask yeah. the person, what is it that you need from me in this situation? And, you know, actually then be prepared to make the time and space um, to follow through with whatever that person is. Because for one person, it might just be they need time to talk. For another person, it might be they need... Um, meals or you know some help practical help with the housework um sometimes it might just be they want to be able to go out um every you know couple of weeks or every week and just have something to look forward to and have a fun activity plan it's going to vary so much from person to person um but i think the key is don't be afraid to ask them um and then find a way to meet that need um even if it's something you can't personally do yourself um Ask around and see if you can find a way to meet that need for that person. It has been a joy to talk to you, Hannah. Thank you so much for sparing so much time for us. Now, if if people want to get hold of, of any of your books, because you've got three books, haven't you, that are uh, yes. available, uh, how can they do that? Uh, you can go to my website, which is just hannahboland.com.au, and, um, yep, all the books are on there as well as info if you're interested in having a comedy show at your church or anything like that, you can get in touch with me that way too. Absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you on the program. Thanks a lot, Alan. Thank you. And uh, that website, once again, is Hannah Boland, H-A-N-N-A-H-B-O-L-A-N-D dot com dot A-U. You're listening to 2020. 
Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.